You know, we, we, we stumbled a little along the way there, and that just tells us how much we appreciate Pastor Matt being up here and leading. But you know, God gets us through it, and any time we gather to worship and worship in His name, and our offerings of praises and thanksgiving are a sweet aroma to His throne. Amen? Amen. You know, it, it is a pleasure and a privilege to be back. I, uh, as many of you know, we, we took the ultimate family vacation. We took 13 people to Disney World. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I said after we got halfway through it. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. Uh, it was good to be with family and to share and do all kinds of things. But I just give you a little piece of advice. If you're over 65 years old, never try to spend eight days in a theme park with kids ranging in age from three to 15. Okay, it's a scary proposition. But we had a wonderful time. But the, really, the thing that really stood out for me was how much I missed all of you. Because, you know, every time that Vern and I are out somewhere, if we're going to be gone a Sunday morning, we try to find a place that we can worship together with like-minded believers. And normally we're able to do that. But this vacation was laid out where as soon as we landed in uh, South Carolina, well, actually Augusta, Georgia, uh, the next day we had to pick up a van and we drove to, uh, southern, to uh, Florida. And so we ended up spending two Sundays there in, in uh, Florida and uh, we were able to spend time with family we were able to uh, pray together uh, we prayed a lot together you know where's Max pray for him you know those kind of things but we prayed a lot together we were able to listen to Christian music on the radio as we were traveling and so we really enjoyed that part but there's nothing sweeter than being in the house of God with family like all of y'all and so it, it really, uh, it's so good to be back. And, and I appreciate so much Pastor Matt, and, uh, but I think we wore him out. So uh, we've got to be kind to Pastor Matt for the next few weeks and get him uh, back in shape so he can continue on. Pray for my dear precious wife, Verna. Uh, it was a little hard on her when we got back. She has an awful cold. Uh, so far, I've been able to stay away from that. But pray for her. She would love and covet your prayers. I know she's listening on the radio this morning. So if I say anything wrong, she will tell me as soon as I get home. Okay, this morning I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Samuel 17, two, uh, starting with the first verse. 1 Samuel 17, and we'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, the key verse for this morning, however, is Romans 12, uh, 6. And it says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. You know, that's one of the neat things about being God's people, that he can use us completely different, and he can gift us with the things that we need to meet situations according to his will. See, if we were all the same, it would be a very boring place, obviously, right? But the, the thing about that is sometimes people try to help you in your daily walk and tell you, I know exactly how you're feeling, I know exactly what you're up to, and this is the way that I did it, and this is how it got me through that situation. Don't you love that? Because the interesting part about that is, when we are up against different situations, God has a way to get you through it, and it's not necessarily the way that somebody else got through it. See, in Jeremiah, God said, uh, told Jeremiah to write these words in 29, 11, He says, uh, I have a plan for you. 
I have a purpose for your life. He says, it's not to harm you. This is my paraphrase. It's not to harm you, but to give you peace and to give you hope in a future. And when he wrote that, he wrote that to everyone, but he wrote it to each one of us as individuals. So he says, I have a plan for you, Gary. I have a plan for you, Mike. I have a plan for you, Karen. And it's different, maybe, than somebody else's plan. So in Romans, Paul wrote, as I just said, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. So I've titled my message this morning, One Size Doesn't Necessarily Fit All. Okay, and I, I, I'm adding the necessarily there. One size doesn't necessarily fit all. Don't you love that? You go in to buy something, they say one size fits all. Well, I don't know what God did with this body because it's not the same as everybody else's, I guarantee you. So I, I was thinking about uh, a situation when I was growing up, and it, when I was uh, in the fifth grade, I think I was 10 years old, 1958, I know that's ancient history for some of you, but in 1958, when I was in the fifth grade, 10 years old, living in San Jose, California, I went to Thomas P. Ryan Elementary School. Thomas P. Ryan Elementary School. And it was a very idyllic situation. It was right around the corner from our house. I could walk to school. And in the corner, in the intersection, we had crossing guards. How many of you remember crossing guards? Okay, some of them, the ones I'm referring to, it's not this man or woman that's standing out there, you know, watching the little kids go by, but it was uh, youth like me. And they had an opportunity, or we had an opportunity, as a crossing guard to stand out there. We had this, this little... Uh, hat that you got to wear it was yellow and red you know and we had a, a white Sam Brown belt that you wore you remember that and then a big long pole that said stop now that gave you a lot of power you know Mike Woods is a police officer he has a lot of power but as a 10 year old you give him a stop sign and tell him to stand out in the middle of the intersection that's power and so that's what uh, I aspired to do. So I had an opportunity to do that. I had an opportunity to be a crossing guard. And so everything went fine. But, you know, one of the things that normally happens in any situation, just like life, there's going to be some type of barrier. Something that comes along that, that's maybe a stumbling uh, block in front of you. You expect every day that you walk out there, the sun's shining, the birds are singing, and I went out with my little sign with my other cadre of crossing guards there, and, and we did what we were required to do. Well, one day, it started to rain, and, and it was cold. And so, as we as, as young crossing guards still wanted to do our job, but we said, how can we go out and do that? And the person that was responsible for the crossing guards said, no problem, we have rain gear for you. Great. So they came out and gave us these yellow slickers and galoshes. And whoever bought these was not a 10-year-old. Because obviously when we put these things on, you couldn't walk. You weren't able to do the things that you were supposed to do because the coat was dragging the ground. The galoshes were size 12. Even today I only wear a 9. So you can imagine, and I was very short for my size. And so one size didn't fit all. I had a real problem with that. And so, but my parents lovingly said, you don't have to wear that. That's not what you need. This is what you need. And they provided me something that worked. So regardless of what this person says, they thought in that situation, what I needed was a size 50 raincoat. And that wasn't what I needed. 
So I, I want to talk a little bit this morning about that problem with people trying to help you in your life, thinking one size fits all. Because one of the things that's going to happen in our lives is we're all going to come up against situations. See, one of the things, especially as we as Christians sometimes uh, feel, especially when we first accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, that everything's going to be okay now. See, in actuality, everything's not going to be okay, but everything's going to work out in the end. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Is not talking about every situation right now. I think it's talking about when we get to see Jesus. But so, we're going we're gonna to talk about those situations. Like I said, I wanted you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. And we're going to be, uh, begin reading with the first verse. And we're going to do quite a bit of reading here. This is a story that you're all quite familiar with. Okay, 1 Samuel 17, starting with the first verse. And we'll read down to verse 19, I think. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes, Dammen, uh, between Soko and Ezekah. Now Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze grievous and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Now Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your servants. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Verse 10. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of a, a Fathrite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The first name, uh, firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them there with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Okay, we're going we're gonna to read most of this chapter today. It's quite a bit we're going to read, but there's a lot of stuff in here that I want us to take a look at. 
First of all, we see a very familiar story. Obviously, this is a story of David and Goliath. Okay, this is one of those stories that you can ask anybody who killed Goliath, and they'll tell you David. Or you can ask anybody, what was the name of the giant that David slew, and it was Goliath. So this is a very familiar story. It talks about this impending battle between the uh, Philistines and the army of Israel located in this valley of Elah. It's a vast canyon which is about a, a, a mile wide. Now on opposite sides of the valley, there are gently sloping hills that go up to the top of the mountain there. And uh, uh, situated on these two slopes was the Israelites on one side and the Philistines on the other side. Now, if you ever have an opportunity to go to Israel, you'll probably go to this area that they suppose was probably where this battle was fought. So this story tells quite graphically of what was going on in this time. Now, in the fourth verse of that chapter, Goliath appears for the first time, and he was announced as the champion of the Philistines. Well, obviously, he was the champion. He stands over nine foot tall. Can you imagine that? Now, we think of that today. I don't know much about basketball, but I know that a lot of basketball players are pretty tall, but I don't think any of them are over nine feet tall. They might be. But when you think about it in relation to what their people were in those days, nine feet tall was a giant, obviously. And so he stands there, and not only does he appear being very large, but he appears with amazing weaponry. Okay? Like if we considered that today, uh, he might have come on with an AK-47, or with a grenade launcher, or something special. But what he had was this bronze javelin with a spearhead that weighed almost 25 pounds. And then he also had a bronze helmet on his head and a heavy coat of mail with bronze leggings. I mean, this was one scary dude. Now, the Goliath offers the challenges to the Israeli army uh, in, in verse, uh, verse 8. Uh, standing down in the valley, he demands for someone to face him in battle. In fact, in verse 16, we see that uh, he continued this for 40 days. Day after day, Goliath issued the same challenge. Day after day, Goliath kept shaking his fist in the face of the Israelites. By the very sight of Goliath, the armies of Israelites, it said, were dismayed and greatly afraid. You know, as we think about this story, and the reason I wanted to use this story is there's things in our lives today, things that you may be facing that has become your Goliath. And it continues day after day to issue a challenge to you. Your, your Goliath may be an overwhelming set of circumstances. Could be a terminal medical condition. It could be a, a financial situation, even personality conflicts, uh, a situation with your employment. For some, your Goliath may even be a habitual sin, something that, that keeps niggling in the back of your mind, that meets you in the valley of your weakness and continually intimidates you. And that intimidation does one thing. It robs you of joy. 
It robs you of hope and robs you of freedom. Think about the things in your life that have become a day-to-day distraction. You know, I mean, I mean we, could, we could trivialize this some and uh, talk about maybe even a medical procedure that's coming up. That's the thing that bothers you. That's the thing that gets in your mind and you can't get your mind off of it. Unfortunately, when we come up against those situations, some people in our lives will say, well, this is the way you need to handle it. This is what you need to do. But I'm going to tell you as we work on it a little bit later that that is not necessarily what you need to do. The battle for you is real. Perception to you becomes reality at that point. Why is that battle so real? Because in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Those situations that we look at, that we have problems with, that we're concerned about, Satan loves to take those and use those and say, You're all alone in the valley. John 10 John says in the 10th verse of the 10th chapter, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's why Goliath was there, for one reason, to kill and destroy. Some people sometimes will criticize you when you're facing your Goliath. Some will offer solutions, as I've already said, that don't make sense to you, or they might make sense to you, but they're really not what you need to do. The first point, if you're taking notes on there, and there's probably not room for this in there, but the first point is ignore the criticism and unbelief in others. Ignore the criticism and unbelief in others. People often want to try to help you in these situations, but sometimes it says, there's no way you're going to get out of that. You're just going to have to face it on your own. Let's continue reading in 1 Samuel 17. We'll pick it up with verse 20. It says, early in the morning, David left the flock with the shepherd. He loaded up and set out, as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will, all, he will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. Skip down to verse 28. It says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Verse 29. Now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, 
Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him, for you are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. Goliath has now crossed that ravine at the base of the valley. You know, if you tolerate a a giant long enough, if you allow that giant to take over your life, before you know it, they've moved right into your camp. See, if you notice in this, uh, the Philistine, Goliath, is taking the uh, offense. He's moving down into the valley. He continues to call out these taunts to the army of Israel. And Israel, even though they're gathered together, even though they come out every morning and shout their battle cry, they're terrified by this giant. While this giant or your giant in your life, while it continues to boost or boast of their strength and intimidate you, they move closer. They dominate your thoughts. They'll try to steal your joy. They'll try to take your peace. You can't afford to tolerate giants. Say that again. You can't afford to tolerate giants. How much longer would this have gone on in this valley of Elah if David had not come up there? How much longer? And each day, do you think the Israelites would have got stronger? No, they would have got weaker. In these ancient cultures, a common tactical strategy was the one that uh, this Philistine was using, a one-on-one fight. Two soldiers would face off as representatives in the opposing armies, and as Goliath told them, if I win, you'll become my slaves. If you win, then we'll become your slaves. Whoever won that struggle achieved the victory for the whole valley, uh, army, and Goliath's challenge was just such a strategy. Now think about it. It said that even Saul was dismayed. Why was Saul so dismayed? He was the obvious champion for the Israelites. Because if you remember Saul, when in uh, 1 Samuel, when Samuel called him out, when he was first identified as being the future king of Israel, what was Saul? It said he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. So don't you think there was something there when the Philistine came out and he looked and he issues his challenge and then all the men turn and look at Saul? Saul may have done what he did in that earlier account. He might have hidden the baggage. We don't know. But Saul was dismayed. He lost, lost hope as well. In verse 28, it reveals the attitude of David's oldest brother, Eliab. He had been passed over for the throne, remember? Eliab being the eldest brother, he was the one that should have been the obvious choice. But Samuel kept going down because God said, that's not the man. And he uh, ended up with David. So his response, or Eliab's response to David, is an outright question of character, and it was an attempt to humiliate him. So many times when we're up against giants, those people around us that we're thinking trying to help, one of the things that they're doing is they intimidate us. You can't do this. Who do you think you are? This is going to get you. David was focused. He knew what the real conflict was. Is there not a cause? You want to be careful as you waste precious energy fighting the wrong enemy. David didn't lash back at his brother. He did say, why are you saying this to me? But 
He didn't start to fight him as the enemy, and sometimes we do that. In verse 33, Saul criticized David for his youth. Saul had lost his faith. He was terrified. But here's the answer. The second point, remember past victories. Remember past victories. David was one of the best at that. Look at verse 34 through 37. Remember, this is early in David's career. But in 34 through 37, it says, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. He said to Saul in answer to this when Saul said, You're only a boy. David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And then in verse 37, he says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And then Saul says, go and the Lord be with you. In other words, good luck, pal. I don't see it. But David went back and he remembered the things. You know, one of the neat things about that is personal experiences with God. We've all had them. We sing Amazing Grace. And then so often when we pray for things, we say, man, I can't believe that really happened. I can't believe that God really did it. We have such short memories so many times to the things that God is doing for us. In verse 34, David answers the challenges of his brother and Saul by citing those experiences. That's one of the reasons I love to get together with a group of people. When I'm in the soup, when I'm going through a tough time, when I've got a situation in my life that I can't imagine, somebody will come up and say, Gary, let me pray for you. Here's what I went through, and God delivered me. They won't say, if they love me, they won't say, well, here's what you need to do. They say, let go and let God God do it. In verse 36 sums it up as far as David has concerned. I've seen the faithfulness of God. When we first start reading that in 34, he says, well, this is what I did. But you realize he gave all glory to God. It wasn't in his might. It wasn't in his strength. It wasn't something that he had to do. He has to say, I can be weak. God, you be strong. I love that. We serve a mighty God. An amazing God. The same God who delivered me then, David is saying, is able to deliver me now. You know, too often we remember what we should forget and we forget what we should remember. There are testimonies of God's work in our lives that we've taken and we've put back on the shelf of forgetfulness. It's like sometimes we need somebody to come alongside us and it's usually the Holy Spirit to say, don't you remember that time? I was faithful to you. Even Saul's armor couldn't replace David's trust in God. Saul's solution wasn't the solution that God had for David. No earthly companion can fight Goliath for you. David went into battle without support of those around him. Can you imagine? Wouldn't it be neat if David had said, 
okay, guys, I'm going to go take care of Goliath. And all of them said, yeah, David, we're with you. I think they moved back up a little bit. Because they said, what's going to happen when David is not successful? Goliath said, they were going to take us captive. No earthly companion can fight Goliath for you. It's, it's on the lonely battlefield that we learn to trust God. Although David would enter the battle without the aid of Israel's finest armies or their weaponry, he would enter that battle with the thing that he needed most, and that was faith, and the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Next point, don't try wearing somebody else's armor. Don't try wearing somebody else's armor. Let's look at verses 38 through 47. 38 says, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and the bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag with his sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Verse 41, Meanwhile, the Philistine with a shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine to the birds of the air, the beast of the earth, and the whole world will know that I am the greatest. No. He says that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Saul tried to get David to use his solution. Saul tried to get David to fit in the mold that he thought that would work out best for him. What may have worked for Saul certainly was not going to work for David, and David knew it. He had seen the faithfulness of God, and he knew exactly what he needed. He, he didn't question that as he went forward to fight in the battle. As David approached the chosen battleground, he armed himself with just five smooth stones and a sling. I've always wondered, why five? I only took one. But David drew near Goliath, having answered the challenge. He didn't come in fear, but in faith, and he was ready to fight. Psalms 20, verses 6 through 7, probably penned by David, he says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now think about that. Here's many years later what David is doing is he's going back and saying, I'm up against another situation, but I remember what God did back then. 
even using this situation as his testimony. Goliath didn't know David. He saw him as some just some little blip in the road. But David had an answer for Goliath. You come at me with a sword and a spear. Bring the best you got. I come to you in the name of the Lord. Think about that. When you're up against that Goliath, when you're up against that situation, when you're facing something that you can't imagine, you need to pray. I'm coming at you with the strength of the Lord. I'm coming at it in the name of the Lord. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but God does, and God wants to give us that strength. David knew he represented God on the battlefield. He was there on divine order. I love one of the things about David. David didn't just walk down into the valley. He ran down into the valley. He was confident in what God was going to do. He knew he wasn't alone. He knew God. His eyes weren't on the, eye, uh, the giant. They were fixed on that invincible confidence in a delivering God. And the real secret to that is in verse 47. It says, the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. He'll choose the weaponry. He'll choose the time. Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon formed against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. All of those people that are detractors, all of those people that try to tear you down and say you're not strong enough to go up against this, that allows us to do that. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. David knew God. David saw God's faithfulness every day. If we take the time to stop and pray and read the scripture, see, that's what our communication is with God. He speaks to us through his word. We speak to him through our prayers. He'll continually, through the Holy Spirit, remind us of those times that he's been with us, those times that he's worked in our lives when we didn't have a way to handle those situations. The only question for us today is, do you know God? Not do you know him, but do you, are you personally acquainted with him and can call him Lord? Just as David did before Goliath. Are you fighting a battle on your own terms? I guarantee you, all of us have something in our lives that we just don't know how we're going to face it. Some situation that we think you can't get through it. But the thing that we have to understand is, in order to face those giants, to face those things, we have to face them in God's strength. And the place that we find that strength is not standing, but in kneeling. We find our strength through God when we're on our knees. There's an old song that uh, we used to sing several years ago. It's called, You Stand Tall When You Kneel to Pray. I love that. I love that. I don't know if it's theologically sound, but I love that. You stand tall when you kneel to pray. Time with God in prayer and His, and his word is primary. Primary for us to get to know Him. That's where we get our strength. That's where David got his. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. Paul was saying, I know I'm weak. 
I know I'm weak, and, and through my weaknesses, I want to depend on you. That's what we need to do, not say, I can do it on my own. I can only do it through Christ who strengthens me. Being a follower of Jesus Christ gives us that confidence to face head-on the things that otherwise might terrify us. One last bit of scripture is found in Isaiah 41, 10 through 13. It says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Man, if you take that into the valley every time. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Is that where you are? Can you claim that? Do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? Or in even more than that, have you allowed him to be Lord of your life, taking you in every direction? What are the giants in your life? What are the things that terrify you? What are the things that overwhelm you? Are you ready to give them over to the Lord? That's what you need to do. The first step, David says, I'm yours, Lord. I'm yours and then allowed God to direct his life. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for who you are. Father, there's, I, I know there's so many things in life that we come up against that we just can't imagine how we're going to go through. And I know it's not easy. But God, you said if you lead us to it, you'll lead us through it. And you said your strong right hand will strengthen us. We claim that promise this morning. I just ask, Father, if there's anyone here that cannot say that with confidence, that they come down this morning and, and maybe spend some time in prayer. As others want to come alongside them and pray with them as well. There may be somebody here this morning, Father, that's never been able to claim you as Lord. Never been able to say uh, that you are their personal Lord and Savior. They know of you, but they don't know you. I just pray that you speak to hearts this morning, Father. Use this time as we share in this song that no one will leave this place without knowing you and having the confidence that you want to lead them through everything that they come against and ultimately spend an eternity with you. Father, we love you. All these things I ask in your precious son's name. Amen. Stand with us as we sing a closing song this morning.